The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. As the children exit, this weekend on Friday, it was Veterans Day, and that's a really important day to us as a church because we are a church full of veterans of the armed forces. And so I just want to take a moment today to honor you. If you've served in any of our armed forces, would you stand so we can honor you this morning? Would you stand, please? Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk this morning about, about sacrifice, and uh, I just can't thank you enough for the sacrifice so many of you have made, um, the families that have sacrificed in order to, to keep this country safe and, and to, to serve, and uh, we're just so, so grateful. This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. You can turn there and prepare um, to read along with me in Mark chapter 8. It's also on your outlines. Uh, but this week, as I was taking my children to school pretty much every day, and the week prior, every day as we were driving up 28 out of Manassas into Centerville, we would pass by this giant billboard. And on that giant billboard, there was this number on it that was getting larger and larger and larger every day. You know what I'm talking about? It was up to two point something billion on that billboard after a while. Yes, that's right, the Powerball jackpot. And every day as we drove past this billboard, that number got higher, and my kids began to get curious, like, how high could it go? Could it become a zillion? Like, they, they were just asking these questions, and they were wondering, after a few times passing by this, as so many other people did, what would I do with $2 billion? What would I do? Uh, I think we saw this in the last week. If you went by any gas station or convenience store, there were, like, lines out the door, this frenzy of activity as people began to imagine what they would do with that prize if they won it, how it would change their lives. Did any of you see some of those crowds? Were any of you in some of those crowds? Confession time. Uh, did any of you win? No? Okay. <laughs> but we were driving by, and my children asked me about this. They are like, what is that all about? And I explained the process to them, and, and they began to wonder aloud how they would use that money. And they said first they would buy our, uh, us a bigger house so they could each have their own room. That makes sense. Uh, and then they said that they would... Um, buy Christmas presents for all the children that can't afford them. And I was like, oh, that's, that's sweet. What it revealed to me is that, that they had underneath some of the more self-seeking desires, they had this desire to be generous. Like they just wanted to be able to give something away. And I, and I won't belabor this point, but the scriptures are full of premises and promises that go something like this. Honor God with what you have and he will give you more. Be faithful in little and he will give you the opportunity to be faithful with more. I'm not going to ask you who among you is actually generous, but uh, I am going to ask you, how many of you want to be generous? Yeah, I think all, all of us on some level want to be generous. If, if we don't want to, that's, that's another issue. But what the Lord has revealed to us in his word is that if we're faithful in little, if we're faithful to be generous with what he's given us, that he will allow us to be responsible for even more. And, and if you're thinking, uh, this is starting to sound a little bit like prosperity gospel, Mark. Uh, no, it's not, because what I'm describing is not that, that those resources, that wealth, that supply ends with you. What Scripture tells us is that, that as we are effective pass-throughs for the blessings of God, as he gives us things to give away to others, then we'll be blessed to do so even more because he will trust us with the things that he has given. And so what he'll give us is an increase in our capacity to be generous and to be faithful. It's reward with responsibility. It's not about you. It's not about me, ultimately. Bless God. 
and bless people with the resources you've been given, and you will be blessed to be an even greater blessing. And so this week, I want to turn to Mark chapter 8. And what we're going to see in Mark chapter 8, this might be a surprising passage for where we're going this morning, uh, but basically, we are going to see Jesus perform the same miracle that he performed just some weeks or months earlier in in Mark chapter 6. And this is a passage that Milton preached through, and he did a, Pastor Milton did a great job preaching through Mark 6. And if you remember Mark 6, Jesus is with this crowd of of 5,000 men plus many women and children, and he takes a few loaves of bread, and he takes some fish, and he multiplies those to feed this great crowd. Do you remember that story? Okay, then we turn to Mark chapter 8, and in Mark chapter 8, we see this headline. It says, Jesus feeds the 4,000. So it's a lesser miracle to some extent, but he's in this Gentile region, and he's about to do the exact same thing that he did several weeks ago. And before we read this passage, I was just thinking about it in the last few weeks. This is kind of the preacher's challenge. This is the the student of the words challenge. Every time we open the scriptures, which I hope you do on a daily basis, open the word of God and read the scriptures and see what he might say to you today. Each time we open the word, we ask ourselves, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want me to do in response to this word? And as I was looking at this passage in preparation for this week and going through it, my prayer was was just this, Lord, we've just been through a miracle exactly like this. What do you want us to learn? What's different about us? What what would stand out to us? And as I said this to myself, Lord, uh, we've just been through this. Show me what you want for our church. Tell me what you want me to preach about. There was just one sentence in this passage, one uh, question actually from Jesus that seemed to simply lift off the page just stood out. It was like it was in in bold in the page. And I want to read the passage to you and and see if it stands out to you in the same way. It says in Mark 8, verse 1, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. We talked about this in the past few weeks. The reason that Jesus so often heals is why? What, what is it that Jesus feels towards people that he would desire to heal them? Compassion. That's right. And here he uses that word again as he looks out on this crowd. And it's such a basic need. It's such a kind of down-to-earth need. He looks out at this crowd and Jesus, uh, the Son of God, whose mind could be on, on heavenly, much more heavenly things, much loftier things. He looks out at this crowd and he says, they've been out here for three days in the sun. They've been camping out here essentially on a retreat with no catering, right? And he looks out at this, at this crowd and he says, these people must be so hungry, must be so hungry. And obviously this is a picture as we understand the scriptures of, of a spiritual hunger that they're experiencing, but he actually is looking at, at their physical hunger in the moment and he gathers his disciples to himself, those that are closest to him. And he says to them, he's like, I don't want them to go home in this sunshine. I don't want them to walk a long distance, all these dear men, women, and children, until they've had something to eat, or many of them will faint along the way. I've been talking to them. Some of them came from from very far away, and we can't send them home like this. We have to feed them. He cares about them. He cares about them so practically. I love this about Jesus. He, he, He looks upon these crowds, and he cares about them, and he cares about you in the same way. Do you ever think about that? Like, God Almighty cares about your hunger. He cares about your your provision. He cares about your your financial strain, your safety, your shelter. He cares about these things. And I've experienced his care in these things many times in my life. And all of these things seem so simple, so down to earth, like they're so beneath the care of God, but they're not. In his compassion, these are exactly the things that matter to him. He wants to feed these people. 
wants to feed them. And his disciples answered him, verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? They say, we're out in the middle of nowhere. We're on the east side of the the Sea of Galilee. Uh, There is nothing around. The towns are far from here. How can we feed them? There's no Chick-fil-A. There's nothing. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Seven, that's that, that kind of number of perfection that we see in Scripture. And um, they say seven in response to him. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. So suddenly someone's revealed that they also have some fish with them. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate. And were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces of leftover, the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. What did they start with? Seven loaves. What did they end up with? Seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Uh, this morning, as I was praying for this passage, I believe that the message that God would want to speak to us as a church from this is that God is generous to the generous. God is generous to the generous. Here in this passage, we see Jesus takes this small sacrifice of a few loaves, these people's lunch, essentially, their last lunch at the end of this time away in the wilderness. He takes this material generosity, this gift of just a few people, just seven loaves, and he multiplies a blessing to far more people. Not only that, but he, he blesses those that give those seven loaves with seven baskets full in return. And this is just what God does. This is the nature of the God we serve. He is a God of abundance. We'll see next week and, and, and some this morning that this miracle of multiplying bread and fish, it's about so much more than a meal. He's, he's showing them something. He's demonstrating something to them, and he's going to teach his disciples some lessons out of this, that he's the bread of life, even to the Gentiles. He is the one in which eternal life is found, satisfaction is found. And just as he distributes bread and fish to these crowds, his disciples are going to be called to do the same, to distribute him, Jesus others. You're called to do the same. We are called to do the same, to share with others the good news that we've received in Christ, salvation through Christ alone, through his death and resurrection. We are called to share that in the same way. And so Jesus is going to teach them this lesson. But I don't want you to miss this, that Jesus calls his disciples to distribute an actual meal to the crowd, a physical meal to the crowd. And so in this passage, we see this is about both the material and the spiritual generosity of God as we share good news with others. And we're going to discuss both, but don't miss the compassion that Jesus has towards these crowds, the demand from his disciples, those closest to him, those that call themselves his, those that walk near to him the way he calls them to look in their own bags, in their own pockets, for something to share. Open hands to meet the physical hunger of the people around them. How many loaves do you have? There's a lot of assumption in that question. He's getting ready to to take what they have and do something with it. What do you have to give? What do you have to give? My children, and maybe yours are like this too, are really good at pointing out when other kids should share with them, right? We would be really good at spending other people's resources given the opportunity, wouldn't we? Like if, if we took up an offering and I said, reach into your neighbor's wallet and give whatever you want, <laughs> things would get pretty weird pretty quick, wouldn't they? But no, that's not what Jesus does. He looks at those that call themselves his, those that are close to him, those that know him, and he asks them, what do you have to give? 
to this great crowd. He doesn't say, do you have enough to feed everyone? He doesn't say, will you have enough? Or before you retired, did you have more? Or will you have enough when you've invested enough bread? Will it, will it multiply? And at that point, you can be generous. No, what we know is that people who are generous with little are actually generous with much. And those that are not generous with, with little, when they get much, they're not going to be generous with what they have. And he looks at this crowd and he doesn't ask them, do you have enough to feed this crowd? No, simply, what do you have to give? Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And generosity and gratitude will reveal how well we grasp the grace of God that we've been shown. As our hearts are right with the Lord, our mentality will shift when we see this sermon title from, what do I have to give? Like, how much are you demanding of me? What do I have to give to, what do I have to give? It's a different mindset. It's a different mentality as, as we begin to open our hands and trust God with what we have. After college, I had this great opportunity. I got to go down to Colombia in South America, to Medellin, which in the 90s was the murder capital of the world. It's the home of Pablo Escobar. It's a, it's a dangerous place, especially that city, or at least it was. Okay, I don't want to over-dramatize this. But I went down there essentially by myself to, to prepare for a mission trip that my soccer team was going to come on in a few months. And I go down and I'm, I'm staying with this pastor, Pastor Checho, in this urban barrio. His English is not very good. My Spanish is uh, pretty malo. And so we uh, are exchanging conversation through a dictionary and, and trying to make it work. But this guy was amazing. He's in the middle of this, this poor urban barrio, the, this neighborhood, and he is a pastor in that setting. He's working all day. He's coaching soccer. And then when he can, he's pastoring his, his flock. And what I experienced in staying with Pastor Checho and his family was just this radical generosity that honestly didn't even make sense. What, what I saw in him was that I could not compliment him on anything that he owned because if I did, he would immediately try to give it to me. I'm serious. This is what he would do. We were out in public. We're walking through the streets, and he was wearing this, this cool jersey for Nacional, the, the, the club team there. And I said, uh, I said, Checho, I, I like your jersey. That's nice. And he starts taking off his shirt in the middle of the street. And I'm like, no, I don't want your shirt. This is the kind of person he was. He would literally take the shirt off his back in public if someone needed it or even if they just wanted it. Crazy. Radical generosity. And he knew something about the nature of God. God had supplied all his needs, and he knew this, this secret to being generous, and it was this. He realized that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Your home belongs to God. Your clothes belong to God. Your food belongs to God. Your vehicle, your car, it belongs to God. Everything you have for the Christian, all your collective wealth, possessions, finances, job, bread, fish, they belong to God. Why? Because he created it all and he's allowed you to have it. The very breath in your lungs is a gift. It's a gift from God. And what that means is, is if all these things are a gift from God, that means that we are not owners. We are stewards of these things. To be a steward means to be a manager. And the question facing us as Christians is, are you good stewards? Are you good managers of the resources that God has given you, whether great or small? Psalm 50 says this in verse 10 to 12. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine. This is God's word. The cattle on a thousand hills, mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. 
James 1.17 in the New Testament says it this way. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that means is that if God has been generous with us, we are to be generous with others. It means that God has been kind to us. Has God been kind to you? So then we ought to be kind to one another. If God has been compassionate toward you, that, that gives us a gift of compassion to share with others. See, if it's, if it's God's resource, if it's his money, if it's his supply, then, then I am privileged, I am honored to be part of his plan for stewarding and managing those resources. That he would share any with me is a wonder so that I could share some with you. And so what does that look like practically? To, to put our resources, our attitude towards them into God's hands. What practical decisions can I make to be a, to be a better steward of the resources for the sake of, of generosity? We're going to have a lot of opportunity to talk about that because in Mark chapter 10, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is going to talk more in depth about what it looks like to, to give in proportion to what he's given you. Not in portion, but in proportion to what he's given you. And, and Jesus is going to talk a lot about how we handle our resources. In fact, in, in the Gospel of Luke, 25% of his teaching has to do with wealth, resources, and the man, management of these things. That's a lot. Jesus talks about that a lot. He talks about it a lot more than we do as a church. Actually, you could accuse us as a church of not really talking about this much at all. In fact, Pastor Bill, when he gives conversation or gives sermons about giving, you'll know this line. He says, please don't give here. Give anywhere else. He always says that. I don't know why. It's not really, is that working for us? I guess it is, right? <laughs> his strategy instead is to just put a giant dent in his car so you feel bad for the church every time you see his car. <laughs> no, it's not true. But Jesus has a lot to say about this. Why? Because it reveals our hearts. It reveals our hearts. I can think of almost no better barometer to see where people's hearts are at than the way they share what they have been given by God. And so this morning, we're not going to get into a lot of detail. I'm not going to actually tell you what do I have to give because uh, that's between you and the Lord. But what I'm going to, to describe to you is biblically the heart of generosity, of radical generosity, what we see in Pastor Checho, what we see in Jesus and his compassion. Uh, we're going to see four characteristics of radical biblical generosity. The first thing I want you to see is that radical generosity is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. In Philippians 4.18, Paul writes to the Philippian Christians who had, had sent him an offering to support his missionary work while he was in jail in Rome. He said, I have received the gift that you sent. He says, I've received the gift, this, this money, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And so he's using this imagery here uh, from the Old Testament, the system of sacrifices. He's saying this gift that you've given me, this supply that you've given me is like a fragrant sacrifice, an offering to God. And in the Old Testament, there are actually two kinds of sacrifices. You, you'll be familiar with these. There was first the sacrifices of atonement for forgiveness of sins. So people would bring animals to the temple. These animals would be sacrificed and, and that would be to, to correct their relationship with God, to close that gap where there was separation between them and God. And that system of animal sacrifice for forgiveness of sins, we don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that anymore? Well, because Jesus has paid it all. Jesus was the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. He has paid it all. And so we saw sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, we also see sacrifices that are brought simply for worship, for worship of God. These are sacrifices by which a person would show their love toward God, their, their devotion, their commitment, their loyalty. And so people would bring these offerings to the temple. And what would happen in, in that setting, in that day, is that the priest would take these animals that would be sacrificed, and instead of uh, putting the blood of that animal on the altar, they would take the meat of that animal, put it on the altar, and burn it. And that 
that smell would waft up into heaven like a fragrant aroma to the nostrils of God. I used to live over in, in Oakton, and almost on a daily basis, I would drive by famous Dave's Barbecue. And you can just smell it, and it's, it's delightful, right, from a distance. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. I, have you ever been in a mall and walked by a Cinnabon? It's amazing, right? I, I don't know how they do it. They pump that stuff out through their air conditioning or something. But it's this, this pleasing aroma that just draws you in. And, and, and what Scripture says is that these kinds of sacrifices are like a pleasing aroma to God. I don't have it in front of me, but it was, it was curious. Even this morning in, in the book of Hebrews, the verse of the day, if you have the Bible app, was about this very idea that our service to God, our gifts to God are, are a pleasing aroma to him, wafting up to heaven. And did I base my whole sermon on the verse of the day this morning? Yes, I did. No, I didn't. <laughs> These are a pleasing offering. Just as followers of Christ, we don't, we don't do this category of sacrifice uh, through animal sacrifices anymore, but this, this idea of worshiping God with what we have still exists. First Peter 2.5 says, as, as followers of Christ, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices of worship. And Philippians 4 tells us that, that one of these spiritual sacrifices is this offering of our resources to the living God. It's a sweet aroma to God. It's a pleasing aroma to him. It's worship. It's worship. And all worship is, simply put, is it's not singing, although singing is a big part of worship in Scripture. But it's more than that. Worship is communicating to God that he is first in your life. He is first in every area. In fact, that's what discipleship is. It's, it's declaring that God is Lord over every area of your life. And so when we worship God, we worship him both in, in our actions, we worship him in spirit and in truth, and we worship him by offering to him from what he has given us. That's worship. Many of us have been taught to see like offerings and giving to things as, as just a way to keep the lights on, uh, to run the building and the programs and, and, and the young life areas and all these other things, and that's true. That's a big part of, of what it is. But, but actually, that's the wrong focus. The focus of our generosity ought to be to bless the Lord, to give to the Lord. In fact, this is the model we see in Scripture. When, when you give to God, like, I just want to support the program or build a pickleball court or something like that, there's no joy in that, not, not a lasting joy. But when you give to the Lord, when, when you're committed to, to giving to him and trusting him with what you have, there's joy. I want you to, to think about this in Exodus 35. Moses is calling the people to bring their offerings to construct the tabernacle in great detail. And he's asking them to bring their offerings. And five times he asks for people to contribute to this. But notice in Exodus 35, not one of those five times does he say, say that it's an offering for the tabernacle. Every time he says it is an offering for the Lord. Why? Why? Because when people gave, Moses wanted them to know that their focus was not to be on the building, the tent. No, it was to be on the Lord. So that's why when we do this, when, when you all are generous in this upcoming season, whether you're generous to write a check to a Young Life leader or, or respond to something on Facebook on Giving Tuesday or whatever it is, this ought to be our mindset. Lord, how can I give to you, to your glory? How can I give to you, to your glory? How can I have open hands toward you? Lord, I'm giving this to you as an act of worship, as a way of letting you know that you mean more to me than this money, than this bread. You mean more to me than anything that this can buy or earn. Lord, this is from my heart to your heart. I heard a, a local pastor once say years ago, he said, uh, we ought to give as if hands holding the offering plate had nail scars in them. 
Because when, when you think of it that way, when you think of giving to the Lord, it really changes our mindset in that there's a joy because he is such a good Savior who has paid it all for us. And there's a joy in giving to God in that way. Radical generosity is an act of worship. The second thing I want you to see is that radical generosity is an attitude of trust. Trust in God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The disciples are looking out at this crowd of 4,000. They've already seen what Jesus can do in the past. They've seen that he is able to perform this miracle. But instead of keeping their eyes on the Lord, they have their eyes on their lack. They're saying, we can't do this. We can't supply for this crowd. And, and what, what radical generosity looks like is this attitude of trust that what we lack, God has in abundance. Generous people have been convinced of something, that, that if God owns it all, that there is more than enough to supply every need, an attitude of abundance. God owns it all, and he has enough. A few years ago, my, my wife and I, Beth, heard about this family that was in kind of a tight spot financially. And so we began to pray for them. And, I, and this is just a story to, to illustrate the abundance of God. We began to pray for them and pray that God would supply through somebody for this family. Through somebody, right? Not through us, surely. And over time, as, as we're praying and we're seeking the Lord for this family, we uh, realized that God uh, would call us to be the ones that give to them. And so we get together and we talk about this and um, we determine that we're going to pray and we're going to be obedient to the Lord in his leading, but we don't know for how much. Like we don't know what it is that God would call us to give. And so we're talking about it and we determine that we are going to pray and ask the Lord to lead us specifically in how much we ought to give to this family in need. And, and at the time, we really didn't have a lot to give. And so we pray, and we kind of separate. Um, I separate, and I pray for, for maybe 10 minutes. Beth goes and does her ordinary quiet time for about four hours, and then she comes back. And, um, and I say, what, what do you believe the Lord told you? And she says, um, I think we're supposed to give, and I believe the Lord would have us give um, $1,000. And uh, to me, that was a lot. And so I'm kind of waffling back and forth. I'm like, I was thinking more like 300, 400. Or I'm like, let's go all in. Let's give, you know, everything and see what God does. I'm kind of going back and forth on this. Obviously, super spiritual. Um, and, and, and Beth says, no, I think it's $1,000. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't have to rush on this. We can get confirmation. And so I, I actually do ask uh, her, I'm like, it's a Sunday morning. We're getting ready to go to church. I say, let's just go to church and let's see if the Lord confirms this somehow, which is just ridiculous. Just be obedient to the Lord. Just don't be like me. And so we go to church and I'm looking for a sign. You know, I'm looking and point and at the scriptures and 400, 400. No. Okay. And then I'm looking up at the slides, like a number's just going to pop up. You ever do this kind of stuff? Like God's just going to speak to you somehow miraculously. Uh, a plane's going to go by and write in the sky. There it is. Um, that didn't happen. And uh, we then are exiting church. And I'm a little disappointed because I don't have any confirmation. And we're going and, and we're loading up the van with the children outside. And, and we're sitting in the van and we're talking about the service. And, and Beth says to me, so something kind of random just happened. And I'm not, I'm not going to say who this morning. But she says, uh, this person came up to me kind of frantically at the end of the service. And, and gave me this envelope. And I said, I don't know why. You probably don't need this. I'm sure you actually don't need this. I, but I, I just, the Lord has told me to give this to you. And so I'm just being obedient. Take this. Gives Beth the envelope. And she's sitting there. And I'm like, weird. What's in it? She opens up the envelope. And in it, we find a check for 
Alex. I, okay, come on. Like that, that is, to, to us it was mind-blowing. But this is, this is the God we serve. He is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. He's a God that actually knows our needs. If, if you are in a tight spot now and you are, are seeking the Lord, he hears you. He knows your needs. And this is the abundance of the God that we serve, that he can supply every need in Christ Jesus. And, and as he calls us to be involved in that work, as we're obedient to that, to step into it, to just say, yes, Lord, we're willing to do this. God revealed his abundance, not ours. His generosity, not ours. And we can see that, that he is going to see it through. He called us to be generous in that moment. But, but as in all things, it was actually his goodness, his generosity, his supply that was on display that day. He didn't need my bread. He doesn't really need yours. But it is it's a privilege and an honor to get to know the abundance of God. You can trust him to be faithful. And, and, and I, I will tell you that over the years, based on the model I've seen in scripture and from, from godly parents and uh, godly people in my life, I've seen the, the blessing of trusting God with what he's given me. As, as we're faithful with what he's given us, he has he has met every need, every need. The third thing we see is that radical generosity is a witness to the world. Not only does that, that aroma go up to God as worship, but it act, actually affects others as well. Acts 2 says this is about the church in Jerusalem. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Christians in Jerusalem have favor with all the people. Oh, by the way, I gave away the $1,000 that was given to me. If anyone was wondering if I just pocketed that, it was, <laughs> we passed it on, okay? But here in Jerusalem, you see this, the, the church is just, people are bringing their offerings and then they're giving them away to any who has need. And it says that they are praising God and having favor with all the people. Isn't that a wonder? Christians having favor with all the people. Can you imagine? Not because they're put together, not because they're moral, not because they have cool sneakers or anything like that, but because they are genuine, they are hardworking, they are honest, they are welcoming, and they are radically generous. Not to mention, God is moving powerfully in their midst. He is doing wondrous things in their fellowship. And as we read this, it should cause us to wonder and reflect, as Christians, are we irresistibly attractive to the culture around us? Are we? Are we generous in a way that is just compelling to the people around us, that something is different? Are we known for this? Are we known for, for meeting the needs of the poor? Not because we tell everyone about it. No, because that's just what we genuinely do. Are we known for opening our homes, sharing our possessions, receiving God's provision with open hands, being willing to give of what we have? Are we known for praising God in the midst of our circumstances and trusting him even when things are tight and lean in our lives? Are we known for gratitude? And are we known for generosity like the church in Acts? For decades, my family has worked with an awesome Christian mechanic. Maybe I've told you about him before, but he's saved my family tens of thousands of dollars just by being an honest mechanic, okay? And, and over the years, he's just been so uh, charitable and honest with us, and I'll never forget something he said to me a few years ago. He helped me to buy a van because I really know nothing about cars. I, I pretend to, to try to be cool with you guys sometimes, but I don't know anything. And so I go out with my mechanic to buy a van for my family, and uh, he helps me. He drives all over creation. He, he tests these cars, and he helps me buy this van. And, and so I want to compensate him for his time. So I have this wad of cash that I want to give him, and I give him this wad of cash to thank him and, and to, to reward him for what he deserves. 
And I remember him, he took it, and it's always stuck with me. And he kind of counts it out. He takes 50 bucks, and he says, I was thinking more like 50 bucks. And he hands back the rest. And I said, I won't say his name, because he wouldn't want that. But I said, you're too generous. And he said, Mark, you can never be too generous. You can never be too generous. This is someone who had tasted the, the abundance of God. This is a guy whose life had been transformed by Jesus. And as a result, he had this overflow of joy and generosity that was a sweet aroma to the world around him. I know that the people that worked with him, that the people that knew him, knew there was something different about him, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus, no question about it. Do people say the same things about us as they did about the early church in Acts? Do they say the same things about us as they do about that mechanic? When people are around you, do they wonder what makes you so eager to give your life away? Lastly, what I want you to see is that radical generosity is a response to the gospel. In other words, the more you grasp what God has done for you through Christ and reconciling the world to himself, the more generous your life is going to be. Because real generosity, radical generosity, flows out of understanding what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I believe he paid everything for me and paid it in full, then I would ask you, what does that look like in your life practically? How do you respond practically to what Jesus has done for you? you say, what, what, what does what I do with my resources have to do with my spirituality? It has a lot to do with our spirituality. Because if you believe that God is generous, that God is a giver, that God helps people, you'll want to do the same things. You'll be stirred with compassion towards him, not because you have to, but because you get to, because that's how God has treated you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ is, is God, and he was in his heavenly throne. He had everything. He, he has everything. And what scripture tells us is that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, left his heavenly abode. He humbly and graciously came into human history, into our context, into our neighborhood. And, and where was he born? How was he born? Into poverty. In a barn. To a teenage girl and a working class adopted father. A construction worker named Joseph. Was he born in a palace? No. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life, think about this, God Almighty swinging a hammer as a carpenter, working a blue-collar job before beginning his ministry, which, by the way, his ministry didn't pay well. Jesus didn't own much. He was poor, but he was generous. He was generous to become a human being. He was generous to come into to our context. He was generous to live in poverty. And I was just wondering at this this morning, he was so generous that he would die for you. Our Jesus is a giver. He would go to the cross to pay the debt for your sins, and he has paid it in full. And three days later, he rose, conquering Satan, sin, and death to give us the generous gift of the Holy Spirit, to give us the church, to give us this, this gift of salvation, to give us eternal life. Jesus is the greatest, most generous giver who has ever lived. And the greatest gift that he gave was this substitute of himself on a cross for us. To pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus is a giver. And so when we are generous, we are reminding ourselves and others of the generosity of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you have to give? What do you have to give? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I, th I thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. It is beyond comprehension. And I pray this morning that you'd stir up in us a desire to, to love you well and to love others with what you've given. Lord, I pray there would be no compulsion here. But instead, your spirit would, would sensitize us and soften us to see the needs of the people around us and to respond with radical generosity. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of abundance, that you are more than enough. And Lord, I pray you would soften and stir our hearts to be more like yours, to look with compassion upon the crowds and upon the work that you're doing and to respond in obedience. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your generosity towards us. May we be a sweet aroma to you in the way that we live and, and a witness to the world. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.